focus. Focus. The tide is coming in. But we've just begun our picnic. We aren't done with our game. Collect your beach blankets and playthings while you can. For the tide waits. For no man. All right. Thanks for joining us on Processing College Football, the podcast where we hope to educate and entertain, particularly if you are a novice follower of the sport. This is our episode number four, week three review, week four preview. So as always, if you have questions you want us to answer, topics you want us to discuss, or terms you want us to define, send them in. You can tweet at us at ProcessingCFB or email us at Processing college football at gmail.com. And uh, since several people wrote in about it, stay tuned at the end of the show for this week's secret word. We didn't have one last week. Several of you pointed it out. So this week's prize will be extra special. Um, we do have quite a lot to discuss, and that is not what I was expecting when we were previewing this week's slate of games. So, at the top of the show, as always, we have a few things to process. Now, I want to take care of some old business. You know what? I'm so rude, Mark. Mark, how are you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm here, Jason, believe it or not. <laughs> I was going to do the show all by myself this week. Hey, go for it, man. That's fine. <laughs> Anyway, I should have said I'm Jason Randazza, your host, and my co-host Mark Catlin. Mark seems to be doing fine there in the back burner where I've placed him. But, but I want to need him for this next part coming up here, the things to process portion of our show. So, last week you were talking about your analysis of Jared Stidham. You were critical of him because he lost a bunch of yardage, either by running around in the backfield, getting tackled, or running backwards and then running out of bounds and you said once he's out of the pocket he can just throw the ball away that was your critique so that begs a few questions first of all what's the pocket um and probably some people out there a little bit familiar with the sport think he can't just throw the ball away can he isn't that intentional grounding i know i've heard that before so if you could just answer those two questions what's the pocket and why would him throwing away not constitute intentional grounding yeah, those are good questions. As I was saying that last week, I was kind of thinking I'm using some jargon here. So happy to, to come back and define a little bit. Uh, really what I should have said is if he's outside the tackle box. So offensive line, uh, if you take the tight end off, you just have the tackles on either side. So there's a center, then the guard, then the tackle. And if you draw a line vertically up and down the field, that's kind of the tackle box. And so and the tackle box is also a fishing term. <laughs> that is true. It's an it's an official term and it's a fishing term, okay. so that can be confusing for those out there. But we're talking about right. it's an, probably an, confusing for a lot of our fans who fit uh, right into that juicy part of the Venn diagram between you know professional anglers and college football novices. So which, I'm glad we are clarifying this. I don't know if you've ever seen that graphic, but it's it's a ginormous overlap. It really so, is. Thanks for thanks for letting me clarify that. And so when the quarterback, when he drops back to pass, you know, he gets a snap. If he's outside of that tackle box, if he gets pressure, a defensive lineman's about to tackle him or a linebacker or whomever, and he goes outside of that tackle box, he can then really throw the football anywhere he wants to as long as it passes the line of scrimmage. So intentional grounding, which you refer to, is a penalty, but it will not be called when a passer uh, is outside that tackle box when they throw a forward pass that lands at or beyond the line of scrimmage. 
And it doesn't matter if there's a wide receiver who's there, who's there within range to catch the ball or anything. He just has to be outside the tackle box, get the ball beyond the line of scrimmage. He could throw it in the third row if he wants to, as long as it goes past the line of scrimmage. And so he won't get intentional grounding. He won't get the penalty yards, and he won't lose a down. And so when Jarrett Stidham was running toward the sideline, instead of just running straight out of bounds and losing yards, he could have just thrown the ball as long as it goes past the line of scrimmage, and he could have just had second and 10 instead of second 17 or what have you. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Next up is another bit of jargon. So this is something that you actually texted me in a barrage of college football uh, insider language, as I would like to define it, but I am choosing only to address one key part of this, which I hear commentators use all the time, and it's the phrase play action, and I just need you to define this because I hear them use it all the time. I still don't know how to use it in a sentence properly. So what the heck is play action? Yeah, this is really simple. Uh, it's it's a word that if you say it, you really couldn't picture what it is, but essentially all play action is is when a quarterback gets the ball, gets the snap, fakes a handoff to a running back, and then drops back to pass. Uh, that's all it is. The reason it's used is especially if you're a good running team, then you run the ball, you run the ball, you run the ball. The defense goes to play the run. The quarterback fakes the run. The defense pauses for just a second to try to stop the run. Then they realize it's a pass. But in that split second where they've been frozen, uh, a wide receiver has the opportunity to get open so you can throw the ball. So it's a uh, play-action pass is a way to take advantage of a good running team uh, or for a good running team to take advantage of that fake the run and then open up the pass uh, this is what alabama does if alabama is going to pass the ball because they're a good running team they're going to need to run the ball establish that fake a handoff then pass it yeah this that is a play that i feel like happens all the time so thanks for clarifying that all right the last term, phrase, idea, rule that I want to process for this week. I think it might be time to go over the college football overtime rules and kind of how they differ from the NFL. We've had a a couple of high-profile games which have landed us in overtime, and I I know our fans are desperate to understand this a little bit better. Yeah, so we've had a couple of big games. The Tennessee-Georgia Tech game, you got the the USC... Uh, Texas game that both went into overtime. I would encourage you, because what I'm about to say is a little confusing, just hearing it. I would encourage you to go back and watch those games after listening to this explanation to help you understand the college football rules. So the way it works in college is uh, the game ends, regulation ends, and the teams are tied to go into overtime. Uh, And each team will get a chance to have the ball. Uh, Now, You'll flip a coin. Uh, whoever wins decides whether they want to get the ball or whether they want to play defense. Usually a team wants to play defense. Um, and so then one team gets the ball at the opposing team's 25-yard line, and they try to score. Uh, no matter what happens, the other team will also get a chance to play from the opposing team's 25-yard line and score. Now, the team that's leading, that has more points after both possessions in a given overtime, is the winner of the game. If you're tied at the end of uh, one of these times, one of these overtimes where after each team has gotten the ball, then you go to another overtime and you keep doing that. The game cannot end in a tie. And so you go into as many overtimes as possible to see who can um, come out from alternating possession and win. Um, after the second overtime and the third overtime, uh, a team, if they score a touchdown, they have to go for a two point conversion. And I think that's the kind of, you know, quicken the pace to see uh, <laughs> if we can just end this thing because it's a lot easier to make a field or an extra point than it is to 
make a two-point conversion. Um, and so that's kind of the basics of the college football. Now, in the NFL, it's a little bit different. If you know the NFL, you'd be used to uh, kind of normal football rules. You would do the coin toss. Somebody would elect to receive or kick. You'd actually kick it off and play according to normal rules. Um, and so that's a little bit of the basics. NFL is a little more complicated than that, but we'll stick with the college just explaining that. Now, I encourage you, again, go back and watch the, the USC-Texas overtime or uh, the Tennessee-Georgia Tech game to see how that plays out with that explanation. All right. Thank you for that. And then we'll leave it at that. So, uh, yeah, hope All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, one last thing we don't exactly need to process um, because I don't think anyone really knows the answer. Um, game day is in New York City this weekend. First time ever. Why? I have no idea. Um, I got a dentist appointment in the morning on Saturday, but I'm, I'm going afterwards. Um, you're not making it out there, are you? What, uh, game day? In Times Time Square. Square? I might. I might bring my son down there. Yeah, it would be exciting. It would be great to see you. Um, they're also apparently sending camera crews to all of the New York City uh, bars that are affiliated with college football programs. So uh, the Ainsworth will probably have a camera crew there. I heard that the, the Georgia bar, wherever that is, will have a camera crew Uh to be perfectly honest with you, I think I'd rather spend uh, time in Times Square than the Ainsworth, which is certainly saying something. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, keep me posted. Let me know if you're going to be out there. And if anybody listening cool. is going to be out there, um, try to find us. I'll be the one who looks like me. Mark, I suspect, will look like himself as well. We have some games to discuss, to review. So, first on our slate of games is... Uh, the Clemson-Louisville game. Clemson comes into this game number three, uh, Louisville number 14. Clemson was a three-point favorite. Uh, this was the game day game. Final score was 47-21. to 21. Clemson wins big. Uh, it's actually a good thing we reviewed targeting prior to this game because it actually came up. A Clemson defender was called... Uh, for targeting on Lamar Jackson. One thing we didn't discuss, though, that I noticed, uh, and before we talk about this game, if you could maybe clarify this point, is the yardage penalty that is incurred when this happens. I think this play happened on, like, the 22-yard line, uh, and Louisville got the got uh, half the distance to the goal as a result, so they got it at the 11. But is it always half the distance to the goal? I mean, if Louisville was on their own 20-yard line, they wouldn't get it at Clemson's 40, would they? No. Okay. It would be a 15-yard penalty. Okay, so um, yeah. So it's 15 yards unless they're what? Closer than the 30? Dude, honestly, I've, I've, I have read the rules on this. Uh-huh. And if I, – I didn't see this particular play. Uh-huh. We'll have to re-record this or something, but – if they actually did a half the distance to the goal from the 22, then according to the NCAA rulebook that I read, they enforced it wrongly. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and look at it. Okay, well, 
I don't I don't know that we need to re-record that. I think we can just say that uh, we'll look into it. But those refs need to learn their job too, just like some defensive co coaches we're going to talk about in a minute here. <laughs> um, uh, the only th other thing I really have to say about this game is I, I thought Clemson looked really good, uh, and La Lamar Jackson disappointingly didn't look quite as good as he had the, has the last couple of weeks. Uh, he threw a pick six. Uh, he was twenty one for forty two, uh, throwing only ran sixty four yards, but he was still Louisville's top rusher. Um, really, the game was never in play. Louisville got to twenty one, but two of those touchdowns were in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, we didn't we didn't really have this game called right at all. What did you think? No, we we didn't. And um, you know, I thought Louisville would win. Part of that was because I didn't believe in Clemson yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't sold on Auburn, and as it turns out, I'm still not sold on Auburn. <laughs> we'll um, talk about that too. But and so I didn't. You know, Clemson's defensive performance wasn't that impressive to me. Fourteen to six went over them. Uh, over Clemson's fourteen to six went over Auburn at home. Just was kind of like okay, um, but if you shut down Lamar Jackson like that, mm -hmm. and you went big on the road at Louisville, yeah, um, yeah, I'm a Clemson believer. In fact, Jason, Jason, if if I had a a college football poll, Clemson, I would put Clemson number one right now. Really? Yeah. Okay, they were that impressive. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to argue with you. Uh, they did look good. I mean, yeah, a Clemson, which was really considered um, a pretty talented program, and, and still is, 47-21. to 21. All right, uh, next up on the games we're going to review is the Florida-Tennessee game. Uh, Florida 24, Tennessee 23. Florida was a 5.5-point favorite. Uh, the final was Florida 26-20. to 20. So I had some family obligations to take care of this weekend, so I didn't really get a whole lot of football-watching time. I did get to watch the first half of this game, okay? It was 6-3 to three at the half. Um, did you catch all of this game? Because everything happened in the second half. Uh, I, I watched the highlight reel... reel Tennessee uh, blew a chance to score on the one-yard line. Florida fumbles a, bar cro uh, a ball crossing into the end zone because of an amazing and really well-timed uh, effort from a Tennessee defender. Uh, there was a double-tipped interception by Tennessee, and Tennessee ties the game with 50 seconds left. Uh, uh, and then from their own 35-yard line, uh, Florida passes it for a touchdown as time expires to win the game. Um Heck of a game, really. I, I wish I had seen the the second half, but I really didn't think I was missing anything after watching that first half. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know, six to three at halftime. The rest of the game, you could want to watch it because it was exciting, but it was all pretty bad football. Yeah. So it was really frustrating to watch. It was basically like who wants to lose this game more instead of who wants to win the game more. There were mistakes all over the place, penalties, turnovers, etc. The, the end of the game, though, you know, it just shouldn't be possible. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm about to go, you know, rant on Texas A&M or T Tennessee like, like I was ranting on Texas A&M. Again, if I'm the head coach, you could put me in, take Butch, Butch Jones out, put me in, and Tennessee at least goes into overtime, right? It's tied 20 to 20. The one thing that you cannot do in that situation is let a receiver behind you. They could catch the ball 
even at the twenty your own twenty yard line. But if you have players back, you just tackle them and the game's over. You go into overtime. The one thing that cannot happen is what they allowed to happen, and that is a receiver to get behind all their defensive backs and score. It's absurd. So if I'm Butch Jones, you you take me out just like you would take out Kevin Sumlin and uh-huh. put me in the game. Sure. And I just I tell my defensive coordinator again. I don't know how you call these plays. I don't I don't know what language you use. I don't know how you signal it in. I don't know whatever. But make sure your defense defensive backs know that they all go about th- they start twenty yards off <laughs> the line of scrimmage, and do not let a single receiver behind you. And that's what you do, and you're in overtime, and maybe you win the game. So it's just it's just kind of it's inconceivable that this could possibly happen. And yet it did. Uh, I saw it happen with my own two eyes. So I, I don't know. The game was very frustrating. Uh, Tennessee, Florida, used to be a marquee matchup, and now it's just kind of become, I don't know, a frustrating thing to watch if you're a football fan. Sure. So it, to me, watching that Florida Tennessee game, not only was it frustrating because of how Tennessee lost it, but it's also a sign that the SEC just isn't really that good this year, I think. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be a, a running theme, um, or, or at least the traditional SEC powers aren't that good, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, but okay, so you are now vying for uh, the vacated Butch Jones seat uh, when that does become available. I should update our listeners. Uh, Kevin Sumlin actually reached out to the program and agreed to sponsor us if Mark would remove himself from consideration for his job. Um, so... Just depends. Just depends on if the money's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll take no less than ten dollars an episode. Um, next up, Alabama against Colorado State. Alabama was a twenty and a, eight and a half point favorite. Uh, final was forty one to twenty three. I don't know what to say about this game and Alabama these days that we haven't already covered. Uh, Jalen Hurts continues to pass to Calvin Ridley and really no one else. Uh, how far into their schedule will this get them? I don't know. Um, they're playing Bizarro Vandy next week. Um, so, <laughs> do they struggle there? No, I, I don't think they struggle against Vandy, but this is a pretty strange college football season. I mean, the I think at one point I texted you, it's 41-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. That was the end, end of the third quarter. And then somehow we gave up two touchdowns. I don't know, it's just... Uh, did 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 Alabama like change who they were playing? I mean, is there is there a reason that this happened? No, I mean, the we're still playing our start. I think we played our starters all the way through the game. Uh, Colorado State's not a bad football team. Right. I think we we just relaxed a little bit. I and I mean, what Saban said after the game, and I was saying this during the game, um, he said, you know, there was there may not have been a defensive play where we didn't make a mistake. In other words, every defensive play, we were making some mistake. So there are a couple of times where Colorado State throws a pass, and the on the television screen you see the receiver catching the football, and there's no other person within like the screen. It's like what has what happened? It's just a blown coverage. Somebody didn't do their assignment right. Um, and those things are fixable. You know, I think we do have a kind of a young defense. The other thing is, that we've talked about before, we've generally talked about linebackers are gone. Well, one of the most important positions on 
defense is the middle linebacker because he's kind of the quarterback of the defense. He makes all the calls. He tells people where to go and kind of sets up the defense. And Rashawn Evans is one of those linebackers that's out. You know, he was uh, supposed to come in for Reuben Foster from last year and take that position over. So he's been injured. Uh, and I think it's shown, you know, there's been a lot of mistakes. He, Rashawn Evans started back to practice this week. So I don't know if we'll see him against Vanderbilt. Hopefully that'll bring it up a little bit. And Freddie Jennings, another uh, linebacker, he was practicing again this week. So those are two key guys we can have back. But the defense just made a ton of mistakes. I think that's fixable. What is more concerning to me, and we haven't talked about this aspect of it, is our defensive line was getting pushed around by Colorado State's offensive line. There were several plays, running plays. They ran for, I think, over 140 yards, which is just unthinkable Mm -hmm. against Alabama's defense. And you watch when the ball was snapped, if you watch the line of scrimmage, um, the offensive line for Colorado State was pushing our defensive lineman a couple yards back. Mm -hmm. That that shouldn't be possible just by sheer strength. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if that's an effort thing. I I don't know what the technique thing, but – that's got to get fixed, or we're in a we're in for a heap of trouble against a, a good running team. Mm-hmm. Okay, well we'll continue to monitor the situation, as it were. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't cause an issue this weekend, uh, and uh, they can show some improvement. Um, the other state of Alabama team I want to discuss, and this is actually a special matchup this week. Uh, it was Auburn, fifteenth uh, ranked Auburn, going against. Mercer. Uh, this was an afternoon game. You could have caught it on the SEC Alternate Network channel. The final was Auburn 24, Mercer 10. Uh, did you watch this game? I did not. Of you know, not. Um, it was on it the was... SEC Network Alternate, <laughs> which as I understand it is called that because people only watch it in some weird alternate universe. Uh Speaking of alternate universes, Auburn is looking pretty terrible this year. They had five turnovers, four fumbles, and one interception. Mercer had zero. Um, That's unreal. Anyway, so we actually have a special guest this week for this game. I was able to interview a real live Mercer grad. No kidding. We found one. Wow. So one of our fans, I guess I should say he found us. Um, So uh, right now. Uh, I'm going to play that interview for all of you at home, as well as Mark, who hasn't heard this interview. Um, the the Mercer grad's name is John Taylor. Um, hmm. So he was actually at the game. So uh, I'm going to just play that interview. All right. And this week, we were fortunate enough to get an interview with somebody. We have John Taylor who agreed to be interviewed by me. John Taylor is a Mercer grad. Mercer, as everyone who follows this show knows, played against Auburn this week. So, John, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your win over Jacksonville University in week one. Thank um, you. I I also, as I said, want to thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. On the whole, it's a pretty rare thing to find somebody who attended Mercer. Actually, it's a pretty rare thing to find somebody who even knows where Mercer is. Uh, But we found you, and we're pleased as punch that you agreed to be here today. Um, I heard you went to the 
Auburn game last Saturday, or I'm sorry, the Mercer game against Auburn last Saturday, uh, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute, but I also have a few questions for you about your school. First question is, where is Mercer? Uh, Mercer is about an hour, hour and a half south of Atlanta. Okay. And is that in the town of Mercer? It is in the town of Macon, Georgia, so one of the cities that's not Atlanta for okay. people not from Georgia. All right. Well, um, that clears things up for me. It's somewhere in Georgia that I'll probably never go. So You may pass through it going to a beach. Okay. So Mercer's in Georgia, and Mercer played Auburn. The football team, though, hasn't been around for very long, has it? Well, depending on how you want to define it, we had a very good program in the early 1900s. (laughs) We kind of gave up football for the latter half of the 1900s and started our program again five years ago. So 2013 was your first season. I believe that's correct, yes. Okay. Okay, so here's here's a question I have for you before we talk about the Auburn game. 2013 was Mercer's first season back, and presumably, like, schedule planning for the team's future is happening. I, I know a lot of these games are set pretty far in advance. So, so 2013, Mercer looks to plan out their schedules for the next few years, and I guess they take a look at the, the national title winners in the years prior, Alabama, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, and they said, they didn't just say, let's set up a time to play them both. They said, let's schedule both of them in the same season. So you just played Auburn, you're going to play Alabama at the end of the season. I guess that provides some insight to how Mercer regards itself. I Um, mean... To prove you're the best, you got to go play fast. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so either they think of themselves as like an elite team on the level of Auburn or Alabama, or, or maybe they have a death wish. I don't know. Um, as an expert uh, on dead and recently revived teams, you might want to tell your friends in the athletic department that <laughs> they shouldn't wish for death. So you guys are one and two on the season, zero and one in conference play, which naturally puts you third in your conference. And... And you wrote in to, and told us we had your conference wrong? What conference are you guys in? Uh, yes, I believe you cited us as the A-Sun. Uh-huh. Uh, we are actually now in the Southern Conference. That's all uh, the same to me. With powerhouses like Wofford or Samford with an M, not the Stanford. You sure. know, teams like that. Right, that's right. You you play three of the, the teams that we feature on this podcast. You play Auburn, Alabama, and Samford. Samford's in your conference. Uh, you got a you got a big game of Alabama football teams. I mean, I I know your athletic department was smart enough not to schedule UAB, and I'm sure you're just counting your lucky stars. All right, uh, so yeah, let's talk about the Auburn game. Tell me what it was like as a Mercer fan at this game. Uh, so it was pretty awesome. So it's like my first trip ever to Auburn, and not gonna lie, it was kind of weird initially going there. I mean, Mercer is a small school. Our stadium holds like 5,000 people, and this stadium is a little bigger than that. And maybe I have like misconceptions, but I was surprised to see that, you know, Auburn had running water and electricity there. (laughs) That surprises us all. But once we got there, we got in the stadium. It was sold out. Didn't realize it was actually Auburn's homecoming. Oh, was uh, it really? Which made it all the better because from the start, Auburn was cocky, let's mm-hmm. just say. They just knew they were going to steamroll this little t- school. I can't tell you how many things on Twitter I saw people even asking, what's a Mercer? <laughs> Is a Mercer a thing? 
it is a man's last name oh, <laughs> that, okay. that, that founded us. So. so, yeah, so the game starts, and Auburn gets the ball to start, and we're kind of like, oh, this, this may not be good right off the start. They're doing good. And then they fumble on the first drive, and we're like, yeah. okay, you know, five-year-old program playing number 15 in the nation. We're going to take this as a win. Yeah. We get the ball. We're not able to do much. We punt back to Auburn, and they quickly punt back to us. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's not till the end of the first quarter. About a minute left, Auburn scores their first touchdown. And we're like, okay, we're walking out of the first quarter, <laughs> 0-7. We're giving them a little lead to, you know, make them feel good about themselves. Sure. The second half starts, and we get ourselves a field goal, and it gets 7-3. They get a touchdown. Okay, it's 10-3. We can work with that. That gets us to the half. And again, we're like, touchdown down. We got this thing. Second quarter, or third quarter, I guess, we again, or they score again at 17-3. Okay, okay, that's fine. We come back. We score again. Mm -hmm. And it's not until the final five minutes of the game that Auburn definitively puts away the, the game. It's really exciting to be of a small program going against a cocky powerhouse mm -hmm. and truly, in the end, having them scared to death. No, and actually, you know, you, you say scared to death, and I think that's really true. So just for everybody who uh, wasn't watching this game uh, live as it happened, the final score was 24 to 10, and it, it seems like Mercer really held their own. Auburn had five turnovers to you guys' zero, uh, so it does seem like you got in their heads a bit. Um, uh, that's correct, and like if you got to watch the game, I mean, it was amazing. They looked scared. Their quarterback looked scared, mm -hmm. which is also kind of annoying reading stuff now, like everybody has to cover for Auburn, and they're like, oh, their quarterback Stidham set SEC records for most completions and racked up all these pass yards. Our defensive line could not get to him very well. Uh -huh. Auburn's lines kept us in check. He held the ball so long, and the uh -huh. entire game, the Auburn crowd is booing him and groaning because, yeah, it turns out if you can stand back there for eight seconds, you'll eventually find an open receiver. It's not until the third quarter until he makes any type of throw anywhere near a Mercer player, so somebody that's covered. And we pick him pretty quickly after he does his first one. I, I was impressed at how I read about Mercer playing and, and the highlight reels I saw. I thought they looked pretty good. So uh, the big question that's looming on everybody's mind is, what do you think you, you learn for the Alabama game? I mean, you play Auburn, you learn a few things, and then you're like, okay, end of the season, we have Alabama. You know, Alabama's going to be a different beast, but um, I think we just showed that we can compete with everybody. I think maybe not this year, but... Next year, we're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> I, I think that's probably true. Now, one quick thing to note, you went to Mercer for undergrad, and you went to Alabama for grad school, actually. So is, is there any sort of divided loyalties here? A lot of people have asked me that, and, and I was raised a diehard Alabama fan, mm -hmm. and I have zero problem saying that's the second to last game of the season. It's right before Auburn. I hope Alabama's undefeated, number one in the nation, and Mercer beats them by 30. <laughs> I, I think I'd like to see that, too, in some level. 
Uh, one thing I'll follow up is Auburn's probably really scared. They accidentally scheduled us again for uh, 2022. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go get our redemption pretty soon. Well, Auburn has five years to prepare. I guess we'll be asking in five years if that was enough time. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for being here, agreeing to be interviewed, and uh, listening to us. We look forward to maybe talking to you again come the Alabama game. I'd love to come back. Yeah, it was a great honor. I've been a long-time listener. <laughs> <laughs> all, all four weeks. I really appreciate it. All right. You have a good one, John. Take care. All right. So uh, that was our interview with Mercer f- fan John Taylor. First, I mean, I don't know who this John guy is, uh, but, man, the fact that he's been listening from the beginning is just uh, its heartwarming. It's unbelievable that we have that sort of fan base that's so committed. And uh, to all you other fans out there, who have been listening to us for a while or just started, you too could be on the show. So just imagine your your voice coming through and, and millions, millions hearing uh, you break down your favorite team, your alma mater, just like John just did. He did a great job. Yeah. Um, so we got to have him on. We got to yeah. have him on again. I mean, we put, they, they play Stanford, which is my alma mater. Maybe mm-hmm. I could talk to talk to this John character. What was it, John? John Taylor? John Taylor. Yeah, I John think you Taylor. guys could actually go head-to-head. Um, I would act as moderator, of course, because yeah. I don't I think want to be, be... Yeah, we could get, we could get pretty angry. Yeah. yeah, sure. And then Alabama at the end. I mean, I tell you what, also listening to John, I, I can't wait for the rematch between Auburn and Mercer 2022. <laughs> it's on the calendar, baby. It's right there. I can't, can't wait. I think we're actually going to start uh, covering the preparations for that game starting next week on this podcast. So stay yeah, tuned I mean, for that. Well, I think game day is already announced they're going to be there 2022. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, they'll have no choice. I mean, Mercer wins the national title next year. You know, Auburn will have won it in the last decade. You know, so I think, I think, yeah, it, it seems obvious. Anyway, I do want to thank John again for agreeing to come on the show uh, to talk some Mercer football. For me, I know he certainly dispelled many of the preconceived notions I had about Mercer fans, uh, namely that they don't exist. Uh, next up, Samford, Georgia. So um, we both said Samford would win this one, and they didn't. Georgia won 42-14. to 14. Speaking That's of good. alma maters... Do you have anything yeah. to add to that? I mean, the the Sanford Bulldogs they they hung tough, you know. Uh, they put they put some points on the board, which is good. But you know, eventually, um, George is going to overwhelm a team like Sanford. But I think I think our boys played hard, and hey, at least one SEC team looks decent out there. <laughs> there is that. Um, <laughs> so there are uh, actually a number of games we didn't preview because we mostly do the a- Alabama games um, and uh, maybe other top-ranked matchups, but there was a lot of excitement in the sport this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- first, uh, I want to discuss USC-Texas. This ended after two overtimes. Uh, USC ended up pulling it out uh, 27-24 at the end of the second overtime. So, I'll, just for those who didn't see this, I'll, I'll recap real quick. So, the score is 14-10, less than a minute left in the fourth quarter, and Texas gets a touchdown uh, to put them up by three. The commentators had already called this game. Out comes the talk. Tom Herman, 6-0 and against ranked opponents. So you can guess what happens here. Sam Darnold makes an incredible pass under pressure and, and gets them into field goal range. A field goal is made as time runs out uh, and sends the game into overtime. 
first overtime, both teams score touchdowns. Second overtime, Texas has the ball, um, and they're practically on the goal line when they fumble it. USC recovers, uh, and then on their possession, they make a 43-yard field goal. Um, Tom Herman turns turns out five and one against ranked opponents. <laughs> yeah, this so this was actually a great game. Uh, I mean, one uh, we probably should have previewed it. Um, as the first time that these teams have played since one of the greatest football games that's ever been played, sure. uh, the championship game uh, with Vince Young uh, beating uh, an historically great team in USC. USC uh, was going for uh, their third straight national championship with Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and Lindale White. And Vince Young came in uh, and beat him, and uh, it was just an incredible game. I think it's my second favorite game other than uh, the Alabama-Miami game in the Sugar Bowl. 92 season, 93 Sugar Bowl, where Miami was supposed to run over Alabama and Alabama won. So we should have talked about this, but the reason we didn't is it wasn't a top 25 matchup. Mm-hmm. Texas has looked pretty terrible. Like a tire fire. Um, they, yeah. I mean, Maryland put 51 Maryland. on Texas at Texas. Yeah. Right? Texas going on the road to a USC team who had destroyed Stanford, who maybe it turns out really isn't that good as they lose to San Diego State this week. Mm-hmm. Washington for the Pac-12, continue. Cheapers, yeah. Um, so, I mean, this wasn't a game that was supposed to be talked about, but, um, man, Texas showed up and played. And contrary, in my opinion, to the Florida-Tennessee game, this is actually good football. These are two teams really slugging it out, playing good football. Um and it was an exciting game and all that. And so, I mean, Texas showed up for a big game. It'll be interesting to see if they can continue that or if USC is kind of a hot and cold team. Uh, and if they're on, they're on, and they're almost unbeatable when they're off. You know, there, there's some chinks in the armor. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it was an exciting game, um, and I was glad that USC got the win because I got them in the playoff. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes from here. But uh, it was huge for Tom Herman. Mm-hmm. Um to at least have a good showing against a USC team. Sure. I mean, it's maybe not fair. It's only the third week into the season. But at this point, uh, Tom Herman, who seemed like a Superman, I think, last year um, and the year before, uh, people are starting to doubt him, which, again, probably not so fair. Um, next game that we didn't preview that I, I don't really have a whole lot to say, LSU-Mississippi State. Mississippi State 37, LSU 7. Just a dominant performance by Mississippi State. LSU looked like they were sleeping out there. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch much of this game, but I kept seeing the score update, and I thought something was wrong. Like, it's just not – this sort of thing is just not supposed to happen. So either LSU is not as good – and this is one of those – this is what I mean, that college football is weird. Like, LSU should not get blown out like this. They, they should have the defense and the running game to at least keep the score down. And if you're going to lose to Mississippi State, you lose 13-10 to 10 or something. But to lose like this, to lose 37-7, to 7, um, either means LSU has some real issues or Mississippi State's very good because um, you just don't do that to an LSU team. So Nick Fitzgerald and the quarterback in the state and the rest of the team, they may have something there. They, they could be uh, – unexpectedly one of Alabama's biggest challengers in the West. So that's going to be a game to look out for, but that's a, that's an unbelievable score. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, the next game to just mention is the, the Stanford San Diego state game, San mm-hmm. Diego state knocks off 
Stanford. Final score, 20 to 17. Um, at some point during the playing, the lights went out in the stadium, which you could read into for Stanford. In any case, suddenly, as I said, I'm feeling a lot better about pick, picking Washington uh, to make it to the Pac-12 championship over Stanford. Yeah, I have no idea what's happening. Um, I mean, this is a pretty bad loss. Here's my, my only hope for Stanford at this point. Uh, it was a big letdown that they got drummed by USC. So they're, they have an emotional letdown against San Diego State. They think it's going to be easy. They kind of take the week off, and they lose. Now, here's the good news, if there can be good news in such a situation. Um, Stanford did not lose another conference game. Right. Right. So even though this is a bad loss, it's not good. Although San Diego State is now three and zero, they're not a terrible football team. Mm-hmm. It's still not good, but it's not a conference loss. So my only hope is that it not being a conference loss, they can still make it to the Pac-12 championship game if they beat everybody that they play for the rest of the season in the Pac-12. Um, so my hope is to sum it up that this game was a wake-up call to them. Yeah. Hey, get over the USC thing. You still control your own destiny in the Pac-12 North. Hey, you got some things to fix. Wake up call. Let's go get it. But I think, unfortunately, it could go very much the other way where everything just kind of unravels from here. So we'll see. Are you ready to go down a hypothetical rabbit hole? Uh, I don't think so, but give it to me anyway. Okay. I feel like we should have a sound effect for a hypothetical rabbit hole. Oh, if for anybody sure. out there listening is uh, some sort of audio uh, wizard and you want to make that, that would be great. So, hypothetical rabbit hole is Stanford wins out, uh, makes it to the Pac-12 championship, knocks off USC in the rematch, okay? But they have those two losses on their schedule. Are they uh, a legitimate consideration to make it into the college football playoff? No. No. Not a chance. You can't have this kind of loss. I, I don't I mean I don't think so. No. Okay. All right. That wasn't a very deep rabbit hole. Uh, let's <laughs> let, let, let's come back I, up. I, I think I think our rabbit hole sound effect should definitely come somewhere from in the world of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. So um somebody, somebody right. get on that for us. The the fourth thing uh to talk about I don't even really want to talk about the game. I just want to talk about Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um I put in my notes that uh, them doing well is proof that we're in the darkest timeline. Um, so they beat, it was Kansas State, right? Yeah, they beat Kansas State. A ranked team. Apparently, ranked team. so there are a lot of qualifiers here, but this is the first time Vanderbilt has beat a non-conference ranked team in, I don't know, like 60 years, maybe 1,000. I don't know. Um it's at least a thousand. <laughs> it seems like. Uh, what what do you what do you make of this Vanderbilt team? Uh, I mean, you know, Vandy's had some good teams uh, in the past, and uh, they're going to play good defense mm-hmm. uh, under Derek Mason. They're going to play good defense, and they did that against Kansas State. And so, look, Vandy's a team that can come up and upset you if you're not ready to go. And a lot of teams are not going to take Vandy that seriously because they're Andy. And so I think Kansas State showed up. They didn't come with with their best game and Andy pulled out the win. Now it makes I'm glad that this happened before Alabama played them instead of Alabama being the being the example to everybody. Sure. So hopefully this is a wake up call to Alabama. 
and we kind of uh, run through Vandy. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Kudos to them. I, I love to see Vandy play good football. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's exciting that they got this win. Ranked non-conference opponent. It's great. Yeah. So here's the question, though, is typically in the SEC you have – Vanderbilt and Missouri to basically kind of scoff at and dismiss. Who do we have this year? Just the rest of the teams? Just pretty much everybody. Still Missouri. Well, everybody is kind of somebody to scoff at and dismiss. I mean, not really, but sort of. I mean, I don't know if you can really scoff at and dismiss them, but it is like, man, the SEC just doesn't look that good. Uh, There was a a, decade or so where the SEC was just dominant. Yeah. And that and that that time period's done. Um, some people call it the Saban effect. And what happened in the SEC? He got a lot of good coaches fired. They were good coaches, won a lot of football games, but they weren't winning SEC championships and weren't winning the West Division because of um, because of Saban. And so they get knocked out. And you you change regimes like that, and eventually um, you're going to weaken your product. And so I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, I mean, other teams started to recruit and get better recruits and hire great coaches. And so the SEC is just, it's not great this year. Uh, it's not a dominant conference. It's not what it's been in the past. And um, hopefully Vandy is not a sign that we're in the darkest of time necessarily, <laughs> but ho- hopefully they're just bringing, they're bringing up the bottom half. The top half of the SEC seems to be dwindling. Maybe the bottom half is just getting better because this isn't against an SEC opponent. It's against a non-conference ranked team. Mm-hmm. So it'll be inter- interesting to see what happens when Vandy gets into into SEC play, what they do against Alabama this week, and then the rest of the East uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, and to that end, actually, if anyone listening out there is a Vandy fan, I would just love to have a really smug Vanderbilt fan on the show. Um, I think I, I've I've got one in mind. I'll see if I can get him on. Oh, that would be great. Um, all right. Uh, so talking week four. Uh, Let's do some quick previews, uh, and by previews, I mostly just mean uh, let's 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 pick some scores. Uh, first game up, Oklahoma State number six is playing TCU number sixteen. Oklahoma State is a ten and a half point favorite. I'm going to say I think Oklahoma State covers thirty-one seventeen. Yeah, I got Oklahoma State covering. I got a little bit higher score. Uh, I got them covering forty-two thirty. Forty-two to thirty. All right. Next up. Uh, Georgia against Mississippi State. I'm, wow, this game got really interesting after the Mississippi State LSU game. <laughs> it sure did. So Georgia is ranked number 11. Mississippi State is uh, from unranked to number 17. Georgia's still a five-point favorite. Um, you know, I made some bold picks in the first couple of weeks. Teams to win outright uh, when I could have just, you know, uh, picked on the line. Uh, so... I'm going to say Mississippi State covers, but why would I say they went out right? I don't get bonus points for it. So twenty-four or twenty-eight twenty-four is what I'm going to say. Georgia wins. You could also just change the point system where we do get points for that. Of course, I don't know what our point system is, but I don't really have one. But I'm reason, winning still. So you are definitely winning. I'm tanking hard, but so I mean, I, I got to catch up somehow. So I'm going to go Mississippi State wins outright. Um, and. I mean, if you can shut down LSU like that and score that many points on them, Georgia's got the potential to do that. They can score points and hang with them. But I'm going to take Mississippi State in a close one, uh, 28-27 Miss State. 
Okay. Um, now, next up is Florida, number 20, against Kentucky, <laughs> unranked. Florida is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Do you think that Florida is sad that they're not even projected to win by a field goal against Kentucky? Yes, they should be absolutely depressed about that. Yeah, so I'm going to say that they uh, they beat the spread. 24-20 to 20 is the, the score I have. Just to hope that SEC football is not as bad as it seems, I'm going to go Florida by a healthy margin, 28-17. All right. Um, but, do, yeah, Florida being a two-and-a-half-point favorite is so, so sick. It's Kentucky. All right. Um, next is number one, Alabama against Bizarro Vanderbilt. Um, we have Alabama 18-and-a-half-point uh, favorite. I'm going to say Alabama covers. 28-7. I'm going to say Alabama covers as well. Um, I, I mean, I know that Jalen Hurts is only throwing to Calvin Ridley, um, but I don't. I just don't know if a team for four quarters can stop the combination of Jalen Hurts, Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Najee Harris, and when we get Josh Jacobs back, Josh Jacobs. And then if you go play action, which you now know what that yes. is, then, I mean, the passing game opens up and... I, I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be able to handle all that. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't allowed too many points this year, but I think they're going to give up points against Alabama. I think Alabama will cover. I'm going to go 31-6. 31-6. All right, so we we mostly feel about the same on this game. Um, next up, Auburn, number 15, is playing Missouri. Auburn, 19.5-point favorite. <laughs> I'm taking Missouri with the points. 34-20, uh, Auburn still wins. Yeah, I don't. I just don't know that Auburn. What 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 are they favored by? Nineteen and a half. Are they even going to score nineteen points? I mean, I, keep I in mind they didn't beat Mercer by nineteen and a half. But and they only scored twenty four points. Now Missouri is yeah. pretty bad, but I mean, Purdue put a whooping on it. But no way. I mean, I take yeah, Missouri beats the spread for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, last but game. Please, dear God, Auburn win the game. Yeah, for real. Don't embarrass us. Um, uh, last game, UAB is playing North Texas. North Texas is an 11 point favorite. Um, this is an easy game to call. Uh, UAB, sure. uh, 210, North Texas, one. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to go UAB 209 to two. <laughs> Nine to two. Okay. That's actually probably a possible score. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I right. mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit more realistic. <laughs> sure. Uh, so that's our show for this week. Did you, did you have anything else you wanted to review, preview? Uh, no, I don't think review, preview, but we do need to give the people a hashtag. Yes, so let me get to that. So anyway, as I said, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, if any of our listeners are going to any of these games, watching these games, thinking about these games, please send us your thoughts, picks, etc., Heck, we might even interview you to be on the show. You can email yeah. all of that to processingcollegefootball at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at processingcfb, and uh, find us on iTunes. Please rate and review us. It's super helpful because Mark thrives on external validation, and he doesn't mm -hmm. get it from me. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, I'm on the back burner. <laughs> yeah, you are on the back burner. Uh, this week's secret phrase is... 
fried green tomatoes. Uh, tweet mm-hmm. that at processing CFB, and we'll tweet you your fortune for the week. Oh yes, very nice. Yeah, fried green tomatoes. That's wonderful. All right, that's it for us. You guys have a good week. Awesome. See you guys.